Oh, man. You made friends with them. See, friendship is the booze they feed you. Because they want you to get drunk and feeling like you belong. Well, it was fun. Because they make you feel cool. And hey, I met you. You are not cool. I know. Even when I thought I was, I knew I wasn't. Right, because we are uncool. Now, while women will always be a problem for guys like us, most of the great art in the world is about that very problem. Good-looking people, they got no spine. Their art never lasts. Then they get the girls. But we're smarter. Yeah, I can really see that now. Yeah, because great art is about you know, guilt and longing and, you know, love disguises sex and sex disguises love. Hey, let's face it. You got a big head start. I'm glad you were home. I'm always home. I'm on cool. Glop Culture Podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks. With more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals, for a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash ricochet. And yes, here we are yet again, once again, together for another Glop Culture Podcast, I'm John Podhoritz in New York City. With me, as always, is the redoubtable Rob Long, sunning himself by the beach in California. Hi, Rob. John Howard. What does redoubtable really mean, though? It means that I have no doubts about you, Rob. None. <laughs> is that what that means? Redoubtable. There are no doubts. And the, uh, and the indubitable Jonah Goldberg. Well, he's dubitable. DC. I can dubitable him. I can dubitable him. I can dubitable him. I can dubitable him all day. <laughs> so anyway, that's Jonah Goldberg in Washington, D.C. Hi, Jonah. Hey, John. How are you? Hi, Rob. I'm well, I'm well and apparently what we are going to do for most of the show is, uh, is flatter Jonah uh, because we are taking as our text for this Glob Culture podcast – a piece that Jonah wrote on the ever-present and never-ending question of conservatism, liberalism, and popular culture, and the roles therein, thereto, and therefrom. And so, Jonah, perhaps you could take a few minutes to lay out your thesis, and when John so that we minutes, can that's drop a, that's a figure of speech. Just yeah, to... it's thirty seconds, and then so then, then we can then we can you know drop precision guided munitions on your thesis. Okay, so a uh, couple caveats before we begin. Uh, one oh on the proposition so that... Is that, is that, dick, is that dick, dick caveat? <laughs> um, on the proposition that uh, one can't say one's been drinking all day unless one starts in the morning. No, uh, uh, first of all, caveat is I have not reread what my thesis was when I wrote that column, so I will try to do it from memory. Uh, that is bad on me. Two... Um, this was not my idea. I want that to be known. Certainly not the flattery part. Um, and second of all, uh, I don't want it to seem like I'm self-promoting here. This was, this was our, in, our truly indubitable producer, Scott Emmergut's idea. So with that said, I, I think conservatives um, get themselves and, – and John knows this well. And I don't think John is, is, is guilty of this and certainly Rob isn't um, – but I think both of you guys know exactly what I'm talking about, of treating uh, Holly, 
Hollywood's cultural fair in this sort of Manichaean binary way where there's the stuff, the very rare occasional stuff that comes out on quote unquote our side. Um, sometimes the more agitproppy or uh, polemical it is, the better. Right. And then everything else is liberal. Right. And um, I think that is just uh, obviously in, a, in, a, in a, something that is as big as popular culture. Um, there's always going to be evidence you can cite to support your thesis. That's one of the problems with arguing about popular culture is that popular culture is so big that you can find evidence to support any thesis and evidence to support the contrary. Um, yeah, and so, also, yeah, and also always ahead. bleeds. Oh, I'm sorry, it always bleeds into this thing. I've been on the on the on the on the on on the end of this where it sort of bleeds into this where I mean this this one guy wrote this book about Hollywood and and talked about the show Cheers which is the show that I, I started my began my career on and how how liberal that show was well the, the the actors who did it were liberal but the show wasn't liberal how was the show liberal and he said well it was, you know it, it celebrated immoral activity it's like well immoral and conservative and immoral and liberal are not the same thing <laughs> it's just, it's okay to be absolutely in favor of uh, uh, lots and lots and lots of premarital promiscuous sexual activity and still be a conservative. But he, he just that, – that was a disconnect for him. Anyway, yeah, no, I'm sorry I, for I, I think that's right. I think that's part of, part of the point. And so my argument would be, or at least the thesis I'll lay out here, is that, um, that Hollywood – yes, Hollywood institutionally is liberal. Hollywood probably produces more of the political stuff it produces. It clearly produces more liberal stuff than conservative stuff. I don't think anybody would argue with that. But – Hollywood also, or the popular culture, reflects the popular culture. That's why it's called the popular culture. And as a result, you know, there's this weird disconnect in the way conservatives talk about America. We like to say that this is still a conservative country, this is still a right of center country, and yet we say how our culture, whenever it veers towards popular culture, is perfect, is, is, is indubitably, to stay on the word of the day, um, left wing and liberal. And I think if you actually sort of relax your focus a little bit, like those weird posters that have the hidden spaceship sentiment, and look at the popular culture for what it is, it turns out that a lot of very liberal shows have a lot of what we would call sort of con- basically f- small C conservative themes and messages. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Margaret Thatcher once said that the facts of life are conservative. And what she meant by that is that, you know, that hard work is its own reward, hard work is, pays off, that family is important, that decency is important, that fa- you know, all these sort of little, sort of little platoons, Burkean things about life um, are fundamentally conservative. If you look at the way Obama and a lot of the left portrays America and the role of government, it's all it's, – it's the individual, sort of the Julia, and the state, and there's nothing in between. Yeah, and right. it's conservatives who talk about family values. It's conservatives who talk about the importance of work. Conservatives who talk about the importance of two-parent families, and those themes are constantly reaffirmed in sitcoms and TV shows and movies. Conservatives are big on gun culture and on, on the right to bear arms. I've yet to see an action movie where the protagonist solves, you know, vanquishes the enemy with a wonderful poem about peace. <laughs> I mean, they are constantly shooting people, and yeah. the audience loves it. And you can go down the line. There's so many. You know, even on abortion, this is the point I've been making for years, with the exception of what, of Maud? Um, you know, there hasn't been a sitcom that has had a character get an abortion in like 40 years. 
And the reason for that is that people don't like abortions. And if abortion was as this carefree, simply a matter of reproductive choice kind of thing as the left makes it out to be, then you could write sitcom plots about it. But you can't. And so what you invariably get is a very pro-life message that very few people on the left or right pick up on. So like when Rachel gets pregnant and friends, you know, she's like, I ha- they always have to do the verbiage about how I have my choice and what am I going to do. But you And Rob probably knows this better than I do, but if you wouldn't write a character to get pregnant in the first place if she wasn't going to have the baby. Right? It's like if you see a gun in the first act, someone's got to use it in the third or going to Tolstoy or whatever. If the character gets pregnant and you're not intending to do a very special episode of Blossom um, <laughs> where you're going to talk about abortion, right? it's because she's going to have a baby. And so the second she decides to keep the baby, for the next eight months, the entire season, she's talking about the fetus in her belly as if it's a human being. She gives it a name. She talks about what she won't eat. She talks right. about how she can't drink. She has, she's eating for two. She treats it like a human being. And that is a pro-life message. And so right. you can now, find lots of these things in the culture. I think we I'll need to un- – see, I think we need to unpack – uh, you know, all of these strands that go into what every people think liberalism is and people think conservatism is. So I think that one thing you can say, and you can say that this is the effect of, of, of liberal culture or not, one thing that is, is, is un, indubitably clear uh, is that really for the past 50 years, there has been a general coarsening of American popular culture and American yeah. culture as a result, right? It's gotten more sexualized. Right. It's more profane. Uh, it's more violent. All these things that the popular culture built walls around, you know, when when there really were gatekeepers, when there were three or four movie studios and there were three or four radio networks or three or four television networks and and much of the idea about how to sell things to America had to do with, with as your first proposition – being as least offensive as you could be while having to tell the story that you told. There was a general consensus on what on, on decency that went right. through every possible medium, yeah. Right, and that collapsed. That collapsed utterly in the 1960s for 75,000 different reasons that we don't have to go into now. And it would be fair to say that in the 60s, the 50s, 60s, and 70s, the forces that were pushing for that collapse were liberal or left in the broadest popular sense. They were uh, civil libertarian when civil liberties was really a a focused issue of the left. Um, It was all about, uh, you know, uh, loosening up the strictures of bourgeois repression and allowing the beautiful expression of sexuality and, uh, and, and, and the open exposure of the physical body. And all of that with all sorts of consequences that – Sounds super hot when you put it like that, by the way. I know. <laughs> but I mean with all the sorts of consequences that, that I think everybody has been grappling with ever since. You know, This question of the sexualization of the female body and how uh, feminists you know, now 40, 50 years after the decline of the decency codes uh, are now acting as though every sexual act on campus is a rape and how um, – you know, which is which is which is something that has to do with this sense that the popular culture has run uh, young people off the rails and they're behaving in ways that are untoward and and disgusting. Right. Um, now, is that liberal or conservative? I would say that it began as a it began 
as liberal. You know, the people who wanted Ulysses, James Joyce's Ulysses taken off the obscenity list or Lolita taken off the obscenity list, that was a liberal, that was a daring liberal cause. The people who wanted Lenny Bruce not, not arrested for obscenity, that was liberalism in its sort of highest free expression mode. Now it's 40, 45, 50 years later, and what do we have? We have Teen Mom, we have the Real Housewives of Orange County, we have open porn on pay cable channels, um, and so, you know, things were, you know, a Pandora's box was opened, and no one seems to be all that happy that it's been opened, and it was opened for liberal reasons, and now liberals are not happy about it, and conservatives are not happy about it. You can blame liberals, but I'm not sure you can blame the liberals of today for the ideology that, that motivated liberals in the 1960s. That is not now. So that's, yeah. that's, one, that's the biggest thing. But the idea was – the idea behind it was that but, – but, but, but I'm not saying the, I'm not, the, the small l liberalization of content was that the market that, – that, that decency and the standards of decency would be sort of market-driven, that if the market didn't like something, if something went too far, then you'd, you'd know it instantly. Um, and unfortunately what happened was that the market didn't speak that way. Instead, what the market did was it imposed – put it this way. You can do – on television, there's a whole realm of things you can do on the sort of uh, sexually prurient or even sort of a sort of crude, sexually crude level um, that you can never do before. I mean, I would get I get a list on a, my basic cable show, but, um, ad supported cable, which is um, um, has separate little standards and practices rules for what you can do. Um, uh, premium cable has no rules at all. So I mean, the premium cable is like HBO and Showtime or Stars. You pay for it. So um, if you've if you've chosen to watch HBO, you can't then complain to HBO about what's on HBO. HBO is going to put it on, and and um, and you've chosen it. So if 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 it comes over the airwaves, if it's broadcast, that some kind of comes under a much more strict standards of FCC regulations and sort of general kind of uh, conventions over time. Ad supported cable is kind of in the middle there, where it's sort of kind of. Regulated, sort of, not really, but kind of, and so it's a little bit more strict. But it's a remarkable what is allowed, and every year more and more stuff is allowed. <clears throat> so you have these very bizarre memos um, where they tell you you can have um, uh, you're allowed you're allowed uh, one use of the uh, uh, I'm trying to like come up with the, the proper um, euphemism here one dash, use for the, dash, one dash, use for dash, the, dash, yeah e. yeah one use for the for the uh, anatomical uh, uh, um, reference to the rectum, and or one use for the uh, 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 for uh, I don't know, were you one exclamation of Jesus Christ? Now, can you can, can they be like carbon offsets, and you can trade with yes. other shows? No, but you can trade within <laughs> a show. Oh, we don't have the rectum, but we have two Jesuses. Which so, really right. should be the title of your memoirs. Well, so, it is the title of an book. So, so the, 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 the and, and when I started, you, you know, they didn't want you to say, you know, hey, you bastard. They, they, they didn't want that. That was 1990 on broadcast. You weren't allowed to say any of that because the theory was, well, you know, the public won't like it. The thing about the public now is the public, all the public care, the public, the the the, the actual activist public cares about is maintaining appropriate racial messages. 
So that so that's one of the reasons why TV is so boring. It's because you can't actually do a TV show about anything real or real life because you're, because that's you're not allowed to televise that. So one of the reasons why TV's gotten so incredibly crude and prurient and sort of uh, and, and, and in many ways uh, crass is because that's the only place that you're allowed to go. You're not allowed to go to more interesting levels uh, about way people really talk. For instance, right, so, so if you wanted to do All in the Family again, you simply could not do that. Right, because because so there was a legion of decency from the you know 1920s to the 1960s, and it cared about. Uh, sex and 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 um, and uh, bad language, and right. now the Legion and of drugs. Decency has been broken up. The Legion of Decency has now been broken up into 150 different things. But if there is one thing that is clear, it is that any ethnic anything that can be taken as an ethnic slur, as an ethnic attack, as any kind of racial, you know, that anyone might take against certain to, groups, that is the that is the conversion of the decency code of the past to the present. And it says something about the differences in our times. However, my sense is that when people say that they are discomfited, particularly parents say they are discomfited by popular culture, it is the crassness. It is yeah. the forced, it is the fact that it forces upon you as a parent conversations you are not ready to have yet. If you allow your children to watch any generic show on television practically that is not a children's show you suddenly sort of i think started with clinton and lewinsky as i've said before in the show suddenly you have to explain what does that mean what is this how does this happen what are they talking about when they say this and to be fair to you john i don't most of of those things you don't know the answer to well that's the other (laughs) problem is that you know i i i don't know what teabagging is but um Really, what's except you know politically, but um, but I think there is a real you know so there is this sense that the popular culture is forcing people into conversations and you know situations with their friends and their families that they don't want to be into, and that this is a real crisis that has no solution because there well, is no social that's people, consensus. That's why people think of it think of it as liberal. Because it's, right. it's 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 pushy and shoving you into being into changing your standards. Well, I think it because, it, it, because it, it, it is anti-traditionalist. Whatever you want to call it, you want to call it liberal, you want to call it conservative, it is anti-traditionalist. And if there is anything that the popular culture is, it is anti-traditionalist. That is, yeah. change is good, the old is bad, the new is good, new social relationships are good – Anyone who defends the old order is a villain. That and and so in in larger sense, if you believe in traditional values and traditional ways of life, and you believe that newfangled values and newfangled ways of life are an attack on that, then it is a progressive vision that you were fighting against. I, I think that's just un, unquestionably the case. Right. I think that's the that anyone who criticizes the crassness of the culture, you immediately get. Uh, these sort of weirdly blue-nosed, left-wing, uh, sexual celebrationist types at Salon and places saying that you're a, you're a fuddy-duddy and a fogey and all of the rest. And But the, the cognitive dissonance going on here is really kind of wild because these are the same people who will denounce all sorts of things in popular culture as sexist or pro-gun right. and all this kind of thing. I do have one... 
Uh, first of all, I agree that the, the Lewinsky episode is a big factor in this, but Friends was a big factor in this, too. I remember, remember George Will wrote a column about the first premature ejaculation joke in television, broadcast television history, which was in the first season of Friends. Was the pilot of Friends. Was it the pilot? Yeah. And, um, uh, but I have a, there's another sort of odd example here, and I, I can't tell you the source from it, but uh, you know, I'm a fan of the show Sons of Anarchy, which in almost every sense is a horrific show, right? Um, yeah. it's, it's got you know, violence and, and uh, at the yin-yang. I mean, there's a, there's, there's a pretty graphic castration scene of a carnival clown in the first season. <laughs> well, um, that's okay. And I know, it's a carny, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, sex and more sex and <laughs> trannies and all this kind of stuff. But I was told on pretty good authority that in the first season, you know, you have these bikers going around doing all these crazy things. And there's a scene where all the bikers are actually in, like, one of their cars. And they didn't have their seatbelts on. And the network came in and said, we cannot show that. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, it just, it's one of these sort of, this is how civilizations crumble kind of thing. Where basically any, any yeah. debunking or attack on Judeo-Christian morality is fair game. But don't you dare show people driving around without a seatbelt. Well, that is true. That that often happens. Or, or like, um, hold a cigarette. Don't you can't smoke the cigarette. The cigarette. Right. And then you have these long. Can the cigarette be lit? It can be lit, <laughs> but it cannot be smoked. Have you guys seen? It's been going around on the internet. I didn't see the movie, but the the PG thirteen or PG warning, the MPAA warning for Monuments Men. It says, it says P- lit cigarettes. No, it says PG thirteen. For language and depictions of historical smoking. <laughs> Not <laughs> <Anyway>. smoking. <laughs> historical Not smoking. It's historical okay. smoking. So I think that's the – in broad gauge, that is the thing that gets people. In, in the broadest gauge and that gets people who are both liberals and conservatives is this sense that the culture is running, is, is, is running away from them and that it has also become increasingly impossible. The thing that people who say is you don't want to watch X show, turn it off. Well, there's nothing to turn off because if you turn off the TV and you let your kids on the computer, then there are ads. If you turn off the ads, I'll give you an example. There's a, there's a, there's a show on, on FX called The Strain, a vampire show. And there are these bus posters uh, yeah. for The Strain in New York City and bus, uh, uh, bus uh, you know, cubicle posters. And I have a 10-year-old daughter who is very impressionable and, and easily frightened. And the poster is a very graphic image of an eyeball into which a worm is crawling. Okay? And she burst into tears seeing it and said, why do they have to show that? Now, 30 years ago, you would never have – no such thing would ever have been allowed on a bus poster. You would have seen it in the variety issue – the Variety magazine newspaper issue that announced movies at con for sale to you know for sale as horror exploitation films. Yeah. No such image would ever be allowed to be seen on a bus in New York City. But all these standards have broken down. Similarly, you can change channels, and there are images from. And again, this isn't liberal or conservative, but there are images from horror movies in, say, a commercial on the Sci-Fi Channel. That had, when I was 10 years old would have meant that I wouldn't have slept for a month. You know, the head spinning in The Exorcist, uh, Regan throwing up in The Exorcist, they're in the commercial. So you can't turn that off. 
That's not, you know, that's now in incidental things that you look at through the corner of your eye. And that's the other crisis. Corner of your eye with the worm coming out of it, apparently. Right. There you go. I mean, it's the crisis of the popular culture is that there is now everything, everywhere in a taxi cab. You're in a taxi cab in New York City and there's a TV and it's showing things. You know, you can't – I mean, you can turn it off. You have to live with a blindfolded earplugs. But don't you always well, turn it off? Mostly, but I mean, but I mean, I'm I just, just saying. Like, instinctively just, go when I get into a taxi in New York. I instinctively turn off yeah. the damn. TV. But the omnipresence—that's all I'm saying. Yeah. It's just you know, it's omnipresent, and there's no yeah. escape from it, and it drives people crazy. And I don't think Thank that's God. I mean, listen, it's my bread and butter. That's just, yeah. <laughs> I mean, but I think what's also it's doing. I mean, just on a technological front, it is pushing a lot, and I'm sure. I mean, I'd be surprised if this isn't true with you, John. It's pushing millions and millions of families. Off of, if not off of cable altogether, but then certainly onto their iPads, because you yeah. can control right. the shows that your kid can watch on an iPad. Because you, you know, the, when they show up on iTunes, right. you know, there's no commercials, and um, and I, I, to a certain extent, I don't think that that the television industry and the movie industry understands the degree to which they are hurting themselves in the long run by training kids not to think of the TV as the primary mode of entertainment in the house, you know? Yeah. Well, look, the other well, thing I mean, is, no, is no, yeah. you have no choice anymore. I mean, the reality is that that, that is simply not a choice for a, a generation that's under 20 um, or under 25, rapidly becoming under 30, that most of those those people don't have – young people don't have televisions, don't want a television. Right. They want to – and they and they don't like – they don't like the idea that you're gonna someone's gonna tell them when something's on. They don't like the idea that they can't watch what, what they want to watch when they want right. to watch. Yeah, they true. don't like commercials. And so the, 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 it doesn't. I mean, whether the entertainment business is doing it or not doing it, 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 it they're not complicit in it. They they would like to go back to the way it used to be. And I don't know many people right. who and don't then, want and you to know. And the ultimate thing that's going to happen, as you know, because I'm sure it's probably already happening in some sense on Sullivan's Sun and other shows. Is that now we're we're going to move into a circumstance in which the commercials are embedded in the programs themselves? So that's that that's where it's yeah that's where it's journeying. So you'll be able to buy the necklace that someone's wearing, and they'll be you know, you'll be able to link to this and do that and the other thing. Now that's a whole. So that's also about the omnipresence and changes of changes in omnipresence. To get more to the ideological question, and speaking of commercials, speaking of commercials as our redoubtable, uh, indubitable producer. Um, Mr. Immergut uh, reminds us it is time for our uh, tribute to uh, our advertiser. The Glop Culture Pro- Podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals for a free audiobook of your choice. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash ricochet. And we are now to make our picks for uh, audibles of uh, audibles that you might want to look into. And I have one. And my guess is that I will now have uh, Rob and Jonah scrambling to find one <laughs> for themselves. So I will speak for a little long. I have been entranced now for two weeks uh, by the uh, by the the novels of uh, of an American writer named Alan First, F-U-R-S-T. Oh, I love Alan First. Right, who writes – one might call them spy novels, but that's too limited a term. He is writing yeah. essentially a series of novels about uh, the world in Europe before World War II or between the wars. Um, and he and is there's a, some during, some during, it's and a, some. I've, I haven't gotten to those because I just started yeah. reading his his work. He is he writes uh, 
beautifully and elegantly and with great wit and and subject matter that you might think would not be of all that interest to you. The the book that really stole my heart is called Night Soldiers. That's the pick that I that I have. It was really the book that made his reputation. And the first hundred pages or so are set in a small village in Bulgaria uh, in the early 1920s. So you might think a small village in Bulgaria in the early 1920s, what, what is going on here? Well, what is established... Or a small village in Bulgaria at any time, but yeah. What is, yeah. What is established in the small village in Bulgaria is the entirety of the political, ideological, cultural, religious, and... Um, uh, ethnic uh, fighting that is going to that is going to subsume Europe over the next twenty years. You have uh, fascists, you have communists, you have Islamists, you have Christians, you have Russian revol- Soviet revolutionaries, you have um, uh, you know you have a, a, a young character who a high is, who who has to run off to Moscow with a with a with a Russian agent to get away from a fascist mob. Um, and ends up becoming a spy there. Suddenly you cut forward and you're in the middle of the Spanish Civil War. Then you're in Paris. Um, It is – these are uh, beautiful, remarkable pieces of writing, sophisticated, interesting. Uh, The the characterization is dazzling. The history is meticulous. All of them, by the way. I'm really jealous you haven't read – you haven't uh, read or listened to them because you get to listen to them. They're all great. And and the uh, – a few sort of characters that come back and a few locations that come back right. and recur and it's they're they're yeah. fantastic he I was speaking of popular culture that's a guy that all of those books are, are are optioned and owned and every now and then someone will sort of pop up and say they're going to make it and and I was once talking to the head of HBO years ago and said you know that that would be my dream is to like put them on HBO because they're all they all kind of connect in some you know peripheral way and uh, he kind of rolled his eyes as everybody says that. Um, <clears throat> but that's a show that would be, that, that would be uh, remarkable, be fantastic. It'd be, it would, absolutely. Be Game and of Thrones, but, but real. It really happened. Yeah, it uh, did really happen. Anyway, his name is Alan First, F-U-R-S-T. The book that I'm recommending is Night Soldiers. Maybe Rob has a different one he wants to wants to commend to you. All but of them. I did I recommend them all, yeah. All of them. But Night Soldiers, as I looked, is there on Audible for your download and uh, – and I, I really hope you enjoy it. Jonah, do you have – I do. You, um, it's less of a, of a feel-good thing. But um, <laughs> uh, I just recently wrote um, a column for USA Today on how World War I screwed up the planet forever. And uh, while I was working on it, um, I revisited a really fascinating uh, book on a historical chapter, The Great Influenza uh, by John Barry. And oh, that is a great book. It reads, oh, you know, it's a- like it's one of those nonfiction books that reads like almost that is can still be a page turner, um, sort of like a night to remember. I mean, I was just really so I, I had read it years ago for work on liberal fascism, and um, I ended up just sort of diving into it again over the weekend. And I think it would be a great audiobook. So that's mine. That is a that is a great book, and he also wrote an amazing book about the Mississippi flood. Of nineteen oh, right. yes. twenty-seven, called Rising, Rising Tide, Tide, which, which like the Great Influenza, was a was really a story of a of a of a once in a lifetime event that had enormous political consequences for the history for you know for twentieth century history. Absolutely, so, right. I mean, I should say you know the Great Influenza has this 
you know, there's so much in our in our political, legal, popular culture, sort of like the safety belt thing I was mentioning earlier about mm-hmm. the role of government to police public safety. And so much of that comes out of the response to the influenza pandemic. I mean, this was part of the the it, it was because of the timing of it right during right after World War One or right during World War One, depending on how you do it. Um, it was this convergence of experts coming into government thinking that they could rationally plan everything. And one of the weird ironies is that the pandemic probably was, as, was one of the reasons it was bad as it was, was precisely because the planners had their way and they had everyone in these tents and they just served as these petri dishes that moved the disease around, the war moved it around. But it's really written in a wonderful popular style. Uh, okay, so uh, Rob, do you have anything aside from uh, conversations with my agent? No, no, that's what I have. I'm, I'm, I'm not oh, recommending. I'm not recommending anything until I uh, audible. I, I record the uh, audio version of my books. So you, because <laughs> you don't want anyone to like get tired of these things. I don't want anyone to succeed until I can succeed. It's really that simple. I can't. I don't want to recommend anyone else's work until my work can be recommended. I think that's very wise. I think that's. I don't think that's petty. I think that's uh, perfectly acceptable. But just, but just to give one more, so that we have three, so that we're being good to our sponsor. Uh, I just looked this up, and what, in you fact, have two now. Oh no, I'm just going to do it for them. He's taking yours. One of the other funny books that I've enjoyed in my life, or hilarious books that I that I've enjoyed in my life. Uh, there is an unabridged uh, collection of the stories of uh, P.G. Woodhouse, uh, oh, bad. The, oh, uh, R- Righto <laughs> Jeeves, and various other stories uh, that you can get uh, on Audible, uh, read by B.J. Harrison. If you if you don't know the Jeeves stories, they are sentence by sentence the wittiest writing practically ever done in the English language. If you like uh, that sort of thing. If you like that sort of thing, I myself prefer Rob Long's conversations with I my do agent. Too, in a weird soon way, to be on Audible. Soon to but be on Audible. While you're waiting to yes. wet your whistle, uh, I, I would say you could uh, to wet your appetite. I would say you could uh, you could listen to the uh, P.G. Woodhouse collection on Audible now. And, and so, may I before hey, we hey, go John, back? Can yes. I, can, can I return to part of my thesis, which I actually did not state in the beginning? Yes. Um, so the second half of my argument, uh, which was probably in Immergut's mind what should have been the first half of my argument, um, is that you know there was this episode of True Blood the other week where uh, – if mean, you guys may not watch True Blood, I, I've decided I'm just going to see it through. Um, there's uh, uh, this episode where the, these vampires and the Yakuza – so and it's really verite – um, stripped from the headlines, as it were, uh, shoot up a Ted Cruz fundraiser at the Bush Library. And everyone, a, a lot of people on the right, particularly in my Twitter feed, got outraged by this, and they're like, how, how could you possibly subsidize HBO? And my response to this was, in large part, lighten up. Um, you know, look, True Blood, by any rational analysis, is a really stupid show. Um, it's self-contradictory. It's supposed to be the celebratory thing about gays and the mainstreaming of gays, but in fact the analogy, and John and I have talked about this remember John, about the, the 28, yeah, yeah. Weeks, 28 weeks later where everyone thought it was so brilliant to have this analogy to the green zone 
Um, and they didn't realize that the analogies to the green zone in Iraq also oh, meant yeah. that the Iraqis were a bunch of zombies that need to be wiped out. <laughs> 28 weeks later was the most pro-American. But the left didn't oh, see yeah. that. The same thing you know, with Battlestar Galactica. There are all of these shows that the left sometimes gets fixated on, and they don't actually think through the analogies. Um, you know, the left made The Wire into this hugely popular show, and, the, and its, its creators clearly um, had yeah. a sort of quasi-Marxist intent behind it, but they didn't realize that the main indictment was aimed entirely at big city liberalism and democratic machines and the mainstream media, and that almost all the arguments in the show um, were perfectly reconcilable with conservative indictments of those very same things. But anyway, my point is, is that the only thing at the end of the day that I think, I think one of the things that really pisses off a lot of people on the right is that um, because liberals control the commanding heights of the popular culture, they get an outsized say in what counts as cool. And cool is really the only thing that matters to a vast swaths of these people. If you, if you try to get too rigorous in your analysis of Bill Maher, a guy who I think if you snapped him open like a peapod, nothing but black sulfuric ooze would pour out, <laughs> um, or, or The Daily Show, or Colbert, or, or True Blood, yeah, or a yeah. lot of the stuff on HBO, none of it is very good in terms of making real arguments or any of that kind of stuff, but it's cool, and it, and it drives a lot of conservatives crazy that, that, that so much of the left stuff gets branded as cool. Remember, I know John knows Michael Lind. When Michael Lind stopped being a conservative and became a left-winger, Rolling Stone all of a sudden named him What's Hot because he <laughs> wasn't one of the dweeby white guys. And I say this as a dweeby white guy. John and I know lots of dweeby white guys. Michael Lind is like the Rolex watch of dweeby white guys. And yeah, the only yeah, thing that wrote, made him he cool was that he became left-wing. Yeah, he, he wrote a 400-page verse poem about the Alamo. That, that, <laughs> That's to be that is guys. nerdy. Yeah. That is nerdy. That you is, don't get, you just don't get rhyme? much more nerdy than that. I think, he, rhymed. So nerdy. Rhymed. Yeah, I think it rhymed. Then that's not so nerdy. I think You know, it was basically like the theme to F Troop, but for 400 pages. <laughs> 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 well, now with the Redskins and stuff, you can't even Actually, sing Duffy, it. Duffy, Duffy yeah. from F Troop was actually the lead character in sure. Michael. Well, that's, Michael as, uh, as, as, as in history. Yes. That's true, but the cool thing, I think that's true. I, you know, I always run into the conservatives and they're like, why don't we have a daily show? Well, we need our own daily show where we need our own like something. Um, and, and I just I, I think to myself, my God, could anything be worse than the conservative version of the daily show? Um, it would actually be worse way, than the daily by show. By the way, to be fair, there are conservative versions of the daily show. They're just not, you know, they're just, they're, they're just they're not, not starring comedians. No, I mean, there's, there's red eye and there's the oh, five. Yeah. These are the, the, that's true. That's true. Know, the, the conservative networks version the, the Fox Conservative Network's version of The Daily Show. And they, you know, I mean, The Five has probably as many, if not more, viewers than The Daily Show. So, But the reason I, they work is they're not derivative of The Daily Show. I think that's what Rob's point is. Yeah, you right. try to just copy what The Daily Show does, which some people have tried as a, on a right-wing version. It just feels forced and kind of lame. But if you just do your own thing, be creative, and not worry about trying to be the right-wing Jon Stewart, 
you'll be your own thing. You yeah, know? but I mean, fun. in any case, the right wing John Stewart and 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 Stephen Colbert exist to fill a niche. They are what MSNBC was supposed to be, but didn't pull off. They are news for liberals. That's what they are. They're joke. They, they are the perfect distillation of what that is: sneering, you know, ad hominem, uh, glib. Um, sometimes funny, not as you know, ranty. I yeah. mean, basically, John Stewart has become Keith Olbermann, you know, a wittier version of Keith Olbermann. He starts for five minutes ranting about something. The other week, you know, he 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 proposed that the United States should cut off Green Dome from Israel, be, uh, Green Dome, Iron Dome Iron from Dome. Israel, so that it wouldn't, uh, you know, because uh, Israel just we're just giving Israel license to misbehave. Thus. Um, you know, a system that literally seems to have saved possibly 10,000 lives, uh, you know, sh- should be, you know, by the way, Jewish lives and John Stewart is Jewish and maybe he should care that there was a genocidal attack on Jews in Israel, but I won't go there. I did go there. Well, you and, went he's there. A, and he's a scumbag um, for having said that and done that. Um, but nonetheless, uh, if he, you know, but I mean, that's that that's for them. That is their Fox News channel. Colbert and and The Daily Show are their Fox News channel. And they and that's and you know, everybody giggles and laughs about how lousy and bad ratings MSNBC are. And and there are the Daily Show and and Colbert. And they get about the same ratings as Hannity. So, you know, mazel tough to them. It's great. So it's equalized. <laughs> um, yeah, I suppose. But, 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 but having, but, you know, but that's, but having, that's, that's yeah. the hardest thing in the world is for like, is for for a, a group to say, hey, we're cool. We need some cool. people. Our group is cool too. It's sort of like the equivalent of the the celebrity roster at the Republican National Convention, which is, you know includes such stars as Bo Derek and the Oak Ridge Boys. You know, it's like, oh come on, stop trying. You know what I mean? But that's the point. I mean, this is the other thing, which is, it is precisely the pop culture's. A quest and hunger for and to find what is edgy, what is cool, what can create buzz, all of that, that plays into the coarsening of the culture that I'm talking about. Because when you need to make noise, when your purpose is to make noise and scream at the top of your lungs so that out of this giant morass of cultural events on all the, in all of these media, somebody will pay attention to you, the way you do it is to be as outrageous as possible within the confines of what is acceptable. So it's not acceptable to be, you know, Anthony Cumia of Opening and Anthony and start talking about how a you know woman who hit you was an animal. But it is okay to be, you know, John Stewart and you know scream at at, at George W. Bush or you know scream at Hillary Clinton for not opposing Israel more or something like that. Um, and so. That is the cool part, and that is anathema to the right. If you think about it, that is everything that the right stands against. In some ways, it's the right had its own version of it, counterculture version of it. Rush Limbaugh was that counterculture version of it. He he inaugurated an you know an entire right, right. medium by being funny and um, irreverent and uh, mildly outrageous and pushing you know the envelope a little bit. And now there are forty versions of him. And and the and the trope is now kind of old, right? I mean, I listened to Mark Levin in the ra- on the radio last night, you know, one of his airs, and basically it's just Mark Levin saying Pelosi's a jerk, and 
you know, Pelosi's ugly and she's a jerk and you're a jerk and Valerie Jarrett is Che Guevara. You know, and that's like, boy, that's really that's you're really advancing the dialogue there. Thanks a lot. That's really so helpful. I'm really enjoying how, you know, you like are standing sounding like you're a crazy person standing on a soapbox, you know, in the middle of Times Square. <laughs> you know, you could you're close to being an Elmo that's about to mug somebody. <laughs> you know. So this medium that was sort of fun and sprightly and and yeah, whatever right. and was right. was our cool thing because no, people didn't know about it. it snuck on the snuck up on them unawares that it was a cultural phenomenon. You know, has now hardened into having its own, you know, orthodoxies and yeah, and that's right. I think what we have now are, are, are cool, as it were. I mean, uh, is probably well, it's the, it's the web, right? Don't you think? And it's maybe it's Twitter. Yeah, I mean, it's where the funny yeah. people are, right? Right, but I think I, so. Look, that's where the funny the people are who culture, have – wait. I, I would say, re, 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 let me rephrase yeah. that. That's what the funny people are who have verified accounts. That's, <laughs> that's true. That's very true. That's very true. Yes, those of us, those of us with the unverified accounts, uh, we have to admit that we, we, we are cooler because we have, yeah. not been, we have not been put the finger on by the uh, man. You're right. You're yeah. like the ham radio operators of Twitter. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. 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 So – but – now, to get, to get to the ultimate, it is, of course, true that pop culture is unmitigatedly liberal. That is to say, it advances yes. democratic causes, it attacks Republicans, uh, villains are all... Uh, although, the, the, although, although if you watch movies from the 70s, it was much worse. Much worse. It was exactly yeah. the same. The, the guys in suits are always like, yeah, we have to use our helicopters to destroy the... Like, every every yeah. corporation had a helicopter and yeah. assassins were always like in the boardroom. Like gentlemen, I'd like you to meet my friend, and it was it was, it was always a hitman. <laughs> it was and, really and, pretty amazing. And they've also driven themselves crazy, you know, because my view of the of the stark paranoia that has been created by the way people talk about the NSA and its you know and and Snowden and the revelations, the whistleblowing revelations, and all this is that this is overlaid by by thirty years of popular culture, according to which. Government has these magical powers to look at right. your license plate, to cancel your credit card, to you know shut the tunnel down when you're nearby, and to you know redirect traffic so that you have to drive this way. You know Will Smith and Enemy of the People, Sandra Bullock and the Net, all of these things. So they find this big cache of information about how the NSA can you know track phone calls and do this and do that and do the other thing. And it's like oh, I knew it, we knew it. Ah, they're coming after us. And it's like you know once again, but- the joke is. Why on earth would anybody want to listen into your lousy phone calls? You, you know, you're like a you, you're a sale, you're an insurance salesman in, in Topeka, there's always some Kansas. Work. And there's always the some guy. Nobody wants to listen into your stupid yeah, phone there's calls. There's always some guy in a room, like a, the Street of Air Command, saying, "I want, I want, I want visual. I want visual on that license plate." And also, whenever they do rewind on the video, they still make the sound from the old <laughs> from the tape eight track tapes <laughs> that means they made that sound fifty That's years right. ago. That's right. yeah. But um, remember in the uh, the the born, I think it was the second born movie. Where a journalist from the Guardian, of course, um, simply says the word "Blackbriar" on his cell phone. That's right. Ding. And within one hour, there's a van showing up to kidnap him. You know, because the CIA has that kind of you know. But this is that all, efficient. Yeah. This goes <laughs> back to the Kennedy you know, assassination. 
If right? only it were true. I know. So because, of course, conspiracy theory requires on government having magical abilities to control everything. That is right. the secret of conspiracy theory when you say, well, that doesn't really make sense because thus mm-hmm. and such couldn't actually happen. It's like, yes, it can because you see the they had the ability it. to turn time back right. for two minutes. Well, I would say the same thing. It's, like, it's, the, it's the DMV of espionage. <laughs> <laughs> What, like- right. Yeah. Yeah. They're so good. They're so good that this transgender misfit sitting, you know, not even that high ranking sitting in some room in Iraq, you know, manages to download the entirety of American intelligence onto yeah. onto like a, onto a thumb little chip. Yeah. Bradley Chelsea Manning on a thumb drive. He's sitting He's 20 years old. He's a non-commissioned officer. And they're like, yeah, go right ahead. Here. Like, yeah, oh, right. you want to you wanna change drive? the password? Here. Yeah. You know, we're just trying to share information across, you know, where this is the post 9-11 era. We're trying to share back information between, yeah. the, between the military and intelligence. So, hey, kid over here, why don't you just take all of our intelligence that's how good we are. But at We're least so good. What, what is that, amazing about that so is that, that, that what's amazing about that was there was open architecture because I mean you know the DMV yeah. and the post office can't talk to each other, so there well, was something positive about that. But it is it is a strange thing. The, the, but the idea about that was that also is liberal because the, the the theory is that if we only spent as much money on you know uh, Head Start as we do on uh, um, you know Patriot missiles. Um, you know, if the if the whatever the the bumper sticker is, if the if the Air Force bake had sale. had a fake sale yeah, yeah, yeah. thing, you know, <laughs> then everything would, would be fantastic. It, it never occurs to them that things just don't work, which is what which is what what's amazing about it. Because then when they, no one was more surprised that the Obamacare business didn't work than the architects of Obamacare, and no one was less surprised than the opponents of Obamacare. Because the ones who were against it were against it because this stuff doesn't work. And the ones who were in favor of it were in favor of it because this stuff always works. And the problem was that like whether it was an ideologically driven argument or not, reality sort of intruded, which is like this stuff doesn't ever really work. I mean this, I'll give this, you an example. If any of this were true, would Glenn Greenwald be alive? Wouldn't Glenn Greenwald – wouldn't somebody have stuck Glenn Greenwald with a poison-tipped umbrella? If Glenn Greenwald were a Russian, he would have been assassinated by his government 10 years ago. You could say the same thing about Glenn Close. Well, look, I mean I I mean mean, let's let's face it. Like he is sitting there with his 14 dogs in a redoubt in uh, in, in, in Rio. Is he redoubtable? Uh, Glenn Greenwald. He's totally unredoubtable. Um, and you know, and and running the world, getting two hundred and fifty million dollar, you know, investments from the guy who started one of the guys who started PayPal, and he is sitting there totally secure that his evil government that runs everything, that shoots drones at everybody, would not harm the slightest little hair on his head. Meanwhile, if you report on how a lawyer in the Soviet Union saw that there was some discrepancy in an account, he gets murdered by his government. That's Sergei Magnitsky. He gets murdered by his government. And that is the great, you know, that is the, the great situation that we find ourselves in because of this pop culture image that the United States is uniquely powerful and can control everything. And meanwhile, you know, some guy in Brazil and two Schmendricks in the, you know, two two Schmendricks in 
in, in intelligence that you never heard of and one of them didn't even graduate from college or high school, you know, can steal all of America's secrets. I, I wrote a column exactly on that point, I don't know, 10 years ago, five years ago, about Julian Assange. You know, I, I, had the, I think the headline was, why isn't Julian Assange dead? And all of the lefty types went bananas about it. And I made your point. It wasn't like I was calling for him to be killed. My point was that the CIA were a thousandth as evil as these people claim it is. Right. We, should, we would never have heard of Julian Assange's name. And, you know, it's the same thing where, you know, all these people who say, you know, you know that during, you know, the Bush years, Bush is a dictator, Bush is all these things. Um, it's precisely because he's not a dictator that they could get away with saying that. Nobody pedals around Pyongyang on one of their little 1950s bicycles with the bumper sticker saying Bush is scary. Right. I mean, I think Kim Jong-il is scary. Right. No one ever said Saddam Hussein, you know, is a bad man. They could get away with saying that stuff because – uh, in America, because we don't do what they claim we do, and the the best example of that I always thought was the absolute contradiction of claiming that George Bush is a blistering idiot and also the mastermind behind the greatest inside job conspiracy of all time. Right? That somehow he was smart enough to pull off the the inside job of nine eleven. Yeah, in eight months. But he's a moron, you know. Yeah, pretty good in eight months. Yeah. Well, I mean, so that ultimately gets us back to the cool, the cool thing, which is that, which is that whatever it is that you can say about the Republican enemy or the conservative enemy, you cannot say that they are smart or that they're cool. That is, that is the ultimate in why this is all very, you know, uh, uh, meaningless and thin. Because, because in the end, right. the great, the great, um, stroking that is done uh, me? by the left of itself is the notion that it has a monopoly on not only good judgment, good ideas, good breeding, good schooling, but Political also, yeah. but also, you know, intelligence and, and sort of personal comportment. And, you know, it does itself deep harm with this, Sense, I think in some ways it's done itself great good. I mean, the uh, Barack Obama's election in two thousand eight was the ultimate harnessing of all of these attitudes, you know, spread around the culture and really put together into this. We are the ones we've been waiting for. You know, the hope poster. He was the coolest guy who ever lived. Vote. You can really vote. Have cast a cool vote, right? Not just a vote for good or for you know to end war or something. The vote itself was cool. He that was a cool vote. Well, that's a pretty bad way to make choices, as I think yeah, the condition right. of the world in you know in August 2014 now shows, and in his stewardship of the world now shows is that the cool guy is not necessarily the guy who will know what on earth to do when. Putin seizes the Ukraine and Hamas fires 10,000 missiles at Israel and, uh, and you know, planes are shot down and ISIS starts taking over Baghdad and Syria has killed 200,000 people. And he's like, yeah, I better, I'm pretty cool. I'm going to go play golf. I'm pretty cool. It's time for my vacation. You know, oh, those Republicans, don't be hating. Don't be hating. Let's, hatin'. let's all get together. Don't be hating. Stop, stop being mad like, all the time. You know what? You know what? They would hate him less. If he took the world more seriously, and he doesn't take the world more seriously because he's from he's from the world of cool, and the whole point of cool is 
It's all cool. Well, the thing about it is that it, also, cool. it, it disappears in an instant. That's the problem is that it, it doesn't really – there's nothing cool about that job. That job is all about uncool and and you have to – and once you're cool you're, or the, the glamour, the glitter disappears, you're sort of left with this sort of – you know, the, the kind of the, the nuts and bolts of it, the sitting around and the arm twisting and the LBJ stuff, which is not cool. Um, you know, you, you watch it on TV and you think, oh, it's just, it's just me walking to the helicopter with a, with a Marine behind me and I'm, I'm holding a little, you know, satchel of papers and I, that look, that looks cool. But really what it is is like me sitting in a room trying to convince, uh, you know, the senator from somewhere and a couple congressmen to go ahead and just swallow hard and vote. Um, the way I want them to. And that's where the stuff gets done. And that's where the sort of really super effective presidents have been really super effective. And that's why this president really has nothing, no signature piece of, of Obama-ness except Obamacare, which is a disaster. Yeah. So part of this is a legacy of JFK, right? Not just the conspiracy stuff, but the cool stuff. Yeah. The whole thing about Kennedy being cool got cemented partly because they had this incredibly sophisticated PR machine and the press was willing to be lied to and to, to transmit the lies. But also because he was killed while people still kind of thought he was cool. And so now we only have these wonderful, very stylish Vanity Fair-like images right. of the guy rather than the reality. And ever since, and I have a section on this in liberal fascism, basically everybody, every Democrat who's run for president since 1960 or since at least LBJ – has done so because they wanted to be JFK. You know, John right. Kerry used to walk around in school and deliberately chain, you know, wrote his initials JFK on everything. Bill Clinton, you know, that whole handing that of the picture, torch yeah. to JFK, you know. And and Obama was the fulfillment of that and it, look where it got us. Um, remember remember how important the endorsement of Caroline Kennedy was to him? Yeah, that was huge. And of Ted Remember later, right? the big yeah, yeah, the big display of, you know, the talk about the passing of the torch, right? And so um and so, you know, now I guess that will pass to Clinton and Obama conceivably, but it is a very weird uh thing and you you make a point in liberal fascism about about how there was something creepy about this in Kennedy's terms, also because partially it was so false, given what we right. know about his back and his condition. But this this salute to his vigor, vigor, right. the vigor. Yeah. Look, they're playing touch football at Hyannisport. They're doing this. They're doing it. so vigorous. The vigor, the vigor, the vigor, and that this was part of the you know this was part of the weird image that had always been cast. Right. Um, of, I do want to make of, one. Of, go ahead. Yeah. No. Go ahead. Okay, I want to make one point, getting away from the presidential politics, because we're getting long in the tooth here. Um, uh, there's, a, there's one weird irony to all of this, right? All this stuff about being cool and, um, and coolness is king and all that. The, the one irony is that – and this is, this is a lesson people should, should have learned in high school. The one key to being cool is not caring about coolness. Yeah. And that is particularly true for, I think, conservatives and Republicans. It's not trying you know, you can't seem like a fogey. You can't seem out of touch. You can't right. seem all those kinds of things. But simply not caring. If you look at a guy who flirted with foginess quite a bit, was the most popular guy among young conservatives out there for a long time, was Ron Paul. And the reason why he was cool was because he was off, he was, he seemed authentic he to seemed them. Now, I, right. I have a lot of problems with Ron Paul. But that, there's a good lesson there. The guys who seem real and don't care about fads get, get popular quickly. And it's the yeah. people who, get, who chase being cool 
that seems so uncool. And I wish conservatives would just give Realness. up on it. Realness is a big deal. Realness is the most important thing. It's the. It's funny. Right now there is a. Um, there is a. Uh, uh, I had dinner with some friends of mine uh, last night, and we we're talking about. Uh, there's a, a palace intrigue fight, to see who's going to run a, a couple of really big cable networks, and it's really interesting to watch because the, it comes down to this: the person who's who looks like he's about to take over these networks, is. A less accomplished executive. But the reason he is is because he's perceived as having not more cool but more leadership. He seems more presidential in a way whereas the other guy seems less presidential. And the reason is because the other guy seems like he wants it more. There is a kind of a desperation to it, you know, and you and, and, and it's impossible. These are these are big companies. These are big decisions. These are these are hundreds and hundreds of hundreds. These are billion dollar decisions being made, but they're still being made on the basis of like, well, I'm sure I'm sure in the boardroom they're saying, well, the other guy just feels more like he's in charge, and it's really a lot about that self possession, like the, the idea of like I'm in charge. Like who felt more in charge than Ronald Reagan or Margaret Thatcher or, or even Bill Clinton at a time? Like like being, having projecting that as its own definition of cool, projecting your own sort of realness as its own. It's probably the best way to project cool. Anyway, and cool matters so much less than it ever did before because. You know, think how evanescent everything is. You know, something becomes incredibly hot on Twitter, a controversy of this or that or the other thing, and then it's faded. It's gone. You can't remember what it was two weeks later. You know, if you you know if you think about what, 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 what about. cool is, what cool is now. You know, uh, Lena Dunham's girls was cool. Then it stopped. Maybe it was a little less cool. In the end, it only had a million, a million and a half viewers. It's not that big a deal. This stuff doesn't mean that much. It's all it's all marketing. It's all this desperate problem of trying to figure out how to mass market things at a time when the mass market has collapsed and the ability to communicate to tens of millions of people at once has been atomized. And so there's more hunger for it even as it is almost impossible to achieve. Once cool meant doing something that other people didn't do and that only the cognoscenti knew. So and now like- cool is the opposite. It's some kind of harnessing of a cultural trend in such uh-huh. a way that everybody will want to do it all at the same time. And so it's, not it's, being co- yeah, so not being cool is like I'm you're being you're cool to his segment. So it's like, well he's cool to them. Right. Right? He's 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 who this small group thinks is cool. So you have sort of a, a league of super cool uh, a league of super cool people who uh, represent the cool they are the cool ambassadors of their own little tiny segment of the population. Right. And so what? I mean, in the end, uh, we can leave the final word to the great philosopher Yogi Berra, who said of, you know, of a, of a very popular restaurant, uh, nobody goes there to anymore. It's too crowded. <laughs> so, um, so with, with that. Wow. Jonah, we, we talked, we, can I just say that we, we, we spent a while talking about one topic. That was kind of weird. It's amazing. I, I I don't know where our did we all take our riddle? <laughs> Are we all focused this morning? Yeah, <laughs> took our Adderall. You took our Adderall, um, 
Jonah. Well, it's, a subject, uh, subject, it's a subject none of us had to read up on because we're <laughs> yeah. creatures of this crap. You know, yeah, right. exactly, right. Right. exactly, exactly. So, Jonah, do you have yes. any? Uh, do you have any appearances? Uh, uh, notable things you wish to tell us about? Uh, um, the only one I can think of is for reasons that are beyond my ken. They asked me to participate in this at AEI on August third in the morning. We're doing a two-part panel with lots of very impressive scholars and me um, on the 2000th anniversary, the birth of, of Caesar Augustus. Um, and I don't know what else to add other than I'm doing that and it might be on C-SPAN. And then I'm going to be gone for the next Oh, week. it's not August 3rd, by the way, because that was two days I'm ago. I'm sorry, September 3rd. September 3rd. September 3rd, Okay. Because you missed it. That's my. Uh, that is not only the 2,000th anniversary of Caesar Augustus, but it's my wife's birthday. So that's really the most important thing. There you go. Uh, and uh, Rob, yeah, he, uh, Caesar Augustus could not have been born on August 3rd, right? That's <laughs> <laughs> a good point. Good point. But I'm bum. Something else. I have no appearances, and I'm not doing anything. So that's that's all I have to. Uh, I'm, I'm here to here to announce that. That's good. Well, um, uh, all I can announce is that I will be at uh, at uh, at Disney World uh, the last week of August, uh, performing in many fast pass lanes, and uh, oh and um, buying uh, toys for three small children who uh, I'm sure will be screaming and crying and <laughs> saying that you'll it's be the in, worst thing ever. You'll be in the Orlando it's the heat happiest in August. That's yes. That that yes. that's the definition of schwitzing. Yes. Yeah, I mean, but cool. the only thing that get worse is if you were wearing an orange track prison suit cleaning up dirt from the side of the Orlando freeway. But that's pretty. I wouldn't. Orlando is awful. Okay, but uh, I just want to say that I think that going to Disney World with three children—that is the height of cool. That is a myth. <laughs> yeah, yeah okay. that is the height of cool. So, yeah. gentlemen, uh, it's been a pleasure. We haven't uh, we haven't mentioned uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, so I will just say it is easily the best Marvel movie. Go see it. Jonah hasn't seen it yet. It's really funny. Uh, Chris I Pratt is going to be Chris Pratt is going to be the biggest star of the, of the next ten years. And uh, Rob uh, probably hasn't Look. seen it because he's too busy to. Uh, I never seen movies. He's, 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 he, movies. Who needs them? Who needs them? Who needs them? Who needs who needs who needs feature films? Absolutely. All right. All right, fellas. Okay. Talk to you later. You soon. Thanks, guys. Spader. Bye. I can't stop this feeling deep inside of me. Girl, you just don't realize what you do to me when you hold me in your arms so tight you let me know everything's all right
Join the conversation. All the good luck when we're all alone. Keep it up, girl. Yeah, you turn me on. 